0: Well, good morning, New Life Church. Good if you are visiting or new, uh, well, we want to welcome you. Um, I, pr- I trust that you would fill out that little form for us so we can get to know you a little better and serve you better as well. Uh, we have just started a new sermon series this month that is emphasizing missions. And um, this month we are going to be looking at different passages from the
1: Bible that talk about the purpose that the Lord has for us as believers in Christ, to be making disciples of our Savior. And that's what we'll be looking at this month. Towards the end of the month, we will be concluding it with a conference, a special conference, and we want to encourage all of you uh, to join us for that um, during that weekend. So today I'm going to be looking at John chapter 20. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to John chapter twenty. We'll be looking for at verse nineteen to verse twenty-three. I'm sure many of you have seen the movie Mission Impossible. In all of these movies they start with a supervisor telling Ethan Hunt, the agent, your mission if you choose to accept it, is and then they give the details. And they're going to describe what sounds like almost an impossible challenge. Well, the Great Commission which the the risen Lord Jesus gave to his followers sounds like an impossible. We started our missions emphasis last uh, week when we looked together at Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. To 20, where Jesus tells his disciples that they were to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. I mean, that sounds, if you're honest, that sounds like a mission impossible for us as a local church. And one of the questions that someone asked me after that message was, Pastor, are you saying that we must all become missionaries and go serve the Lord in a foreign country? Well, I'm sure that person is not alone in thinking that, or, or even thinking that they are inadequate to be involved in the Great Commission. If you think this, you're not alone, don't worry. There are many Christians who think that this mission is indeed impossible. Well, this morning we're going to see how the Lord turns mission impossible to mission possible. So let's read together in John chapter 20 from verse 19 to verse 23. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold, if you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. Let's pray together before we go into the world this morning. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you, Lord, that we can sing your word, that we could hear your word, and that we could speak your word. And we pray this morning that the Spirit of God he indeed would open our eyes so that we would see clearly. We pray, Father, that he would open our ears, so that we would hear clearly. But we pray also that he would open our hearts that you would open our hearts this morning, that, Father, we would not just be the the hearers of your word, but we would be the doers as well. We pray, Father, that you would help us to see that this is not just for a certain group of people, an elite group of missionaries or, or pastors. This is indeed a mission for all of us to be involved in. So I pray, Father, that the Spirit of God would help us this morning to understand and apply these truths that you have for us this morning. May you be glorified in Jesus' name we ask. Amen. So here in our passage in John chapter 20, from verse 19 to 23, this passage tells us about our Lord's appearance to the apostles and probably other disciples as they were meeting behind closed doors, behind locked doors, for fear of the Jews, as it says on the evening of the first day of his resurrection. So this is a little different to the, to the occurrence that we heard about in Matthew chapter 28. This is a different event. Thomas, the disciple, the doubting Thomas, he was not present at this time. Probably because he was still brooding over his doubts about the, the resurrection. But the Great Commission is again summed up for us here in our passage in verse 21, where Jesus says, "As the Father has sent me, also I send you." So if you think about those words and you do not feel inadequate for this impossible task you, you're probably not thinking very clearly. You probably thought similar to that person who said to me last week, week, how is this this possible? How can I possibly go into the world just as the Father sent Jesus into this world? Number one, Jesus was God in the flesh. I am not. Jesus never sinned. I am a sinner. Jesus had supernatural abilities. I don't. Jesus walked on water. Um, I can't. Jesus walked in unbroken, intimate fellowship with the Father. I, I do not do that. Jesus never made mistakes. I make mistakes all the time. And the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16, he, he said what I think many of us feel. He said, who is adequate for these things? Who is adequate for these things? And I often feel like this myself, and, and I have similar doubts. But Paul, he answers this question about the doubts that he has and about the feelings of, of inadequacy with, with a really a triumphant explanation. He says in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 5, he says, not that we are sufficient or not that we are adequate in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. Our sufficiency is from God. So this morning we'll see how our Lord turns mission impossible into mission possible. Here our Lord gives us five ways that He equips us so that the mission impossible becomes indeed possible. My first point this morning is in verse 19 and in verse 21. The risen Savior has given us great peace. He has given us great peace. verse 19 it says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Then he repeats this. First he shows them his, his hands, he shows them his side, he shows them the marks of the crucifixion. And then he says again in verse 21, Peace be with you. So peace be with you was a, was a common Jewish greeting amongst the Israelites. Uh, wishing people overall, uh, overall well-being. Um, wishing them uh, health and, and happiness. But in the context here it means far more than just a, just a trivial greeting or, or a thoughtless greeting. These men, remember, they were, they were hiding behind locked, closed doors because of their fear of the, the Jewish leaders who had just crucified Jesus. They had reason to be fearful. And it wasn't far-fetched for these disciples to be thinking, Well, maybe I'm next. I was a follower of Jesus. I am a follower of Jesus. Maybe it is me next. They may have been discussing how they could sneak out of Jerusalem without being arrested. They they were certainly firm. And suddenly, without even a a knock at the the door, the doors were locked. No way that they could have been opened. The risen Lord Jesus stands in the middle of them, all of a sudden. Now we know His his resurrection body is, is physical. They touched it. Jesus ate food to prove that it was indeed physical. It has all the ability to but, to appear, but also to, to disappear at the same time. And you can imagine how surprising it must have been to see the risen Lord suddenly appear in a locked room. They must have been afraid. They must have been fearful. Luke The Gospel of Luke in chapter 24, in verse 37, it tells us that they indeed were frightened and they thought that they were seeing a ghost. Our passage here in John chapter 20 reports the outcome after Jesus showed them his hands and, and his side. Look at verse 20. It tells us that the disciples were glad. One version says the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So this was the outcome. Keep in mind that these are men who had all fled in fear of their own lives when Jesus was arrested. Remember, Peter had denied the Lord three times. In Luke chapter 24, the Gospel tells us that they they had all doubted the initial reports of, of Jesus' resurrection. So it would certainly be understandable if Jesus had greeted them with your unbelieving, thick-headed knuckleheads. But he doesn't. He doesn't. Rather than rebuking them, the Lord graciously emphasizes and extends his peace to them. Notice that. Peace with God is foundational. If we are going to serve the Lord in any capacity... Peace with God is foundational for our mission. You can't begin to serve the Lord unless you are first reconciled to Him through the peace that Christ gives us from His finished work on the cross. Romans chapter 8 verse 7 and 8 tells us that before we believe in Christ, our sins have alienated us from God. We were... We were enemies, we were aliens, hostile to God. But when we trust in Christ, we enter into a new relationship with God. Then and only then does does God appoint us as ambassadors of His mission of reconciliation with this world that that is hostile toward Him. So unless we are reconciled with God, unless we have peace with God, our service to Him really is, is futile. Our service to Him is just works, which the Lord regards as a dirty rag. But not only does Christ give us peace with God through His blood, but He also gives us the peace of God through His abiding presence. As Christians, we we have the privilege, we have the blessing of having the Spirit of God help us in, in all things as we seek to accomplish this mission that He's given to us. As remember in Matthew twenty-eight last week, we looked as the Lord concluded the great commission. He gave assurance to his disciples that I am with you always. And we know the Lord Jesus physically wasn't there because he ascended back into heaven. The disciples watched him go to heaven, but he wasn't lying to them, folks. He wasn't lying to them, and we know what happened on the day of Pentecost. The Lord gave him, the Lord gave the, his disciples the Spirit of God that would be with them to help them fulfill this mission. God made that promise, and thank God for that promise. I am with you always. And as we proclaim the gospel to this, to this world that is hostile towards this message, we do not need to fear, because we have the presence of the Lord with us, this peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Even though we might be persecuted, we can rest in this peace. This peace that passes all understanding. The peace that the Lord gives also extends to our relationships with one another. Let's not not overlook that. If you and your family serve Christ, there is a peace that your family enjoys that, that unbelieving families do not enjoy. If you and your spouse love Christ together, there is a peace that is extended to your marriage that is is not extended to unbelievers in in their marriage. And the same is true for for us as a church family. Jesus said in John chapter 13 verse 35, He said, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Not just any love. We looked at that when we studied the epistles of John. He's talking about this agape love. He's talking about this sacrificial love. The love that Christ has for his bride. And The only reason we can love in the, in the same way. The only reason we can love each other in that sacrificial kind of costly, God-exalting, supernatural way. Is because of this peace of God that has been extended to us if we've been reconciled through Jesus sacrificial love we have this peace we have this peace we have this peace with God because of the love of God and now this joy and this peace is possible in our, in our families in our marriages and in our church relationships but let's not forget Satan is not happy with that Satan is not happy with that. And that's why we are commanded in Scripture to be praying for the unity of the church. Satan wants to divide. Satan doesn't want us to enjoy that peace. He knows the blessings that come with that. He knows the confidence that comes with that. He knows the effectiveness that comes with that. And he doesn't want the church to be equipped with this peace. And the church is getting to internal conflicts they really sabotage their, their witness to the, to the watching world around them and that's why many passages in the New Testament exhort us to work for for peaceful relationships I remember in India I met a, a judge he was a Hindu man and we became friends and he would often speak to me and, and ask me Gareth why is it that Christians come to me to sort out their problems, and I knew what he was referring to because there were there were many Christians from this particular church. They were fighting over land which didn't belong to them. They belonged to the early Christian missionaries that they had established these these mission
0: hospitals, and the Christians, the, the so-called professing Christians, now were were fighting for this land, and they were taking to each other they were taking each other to court. I am a beneficiary. My great-grandfather worked as a gardener on this land. This land is my land. No, this land is my land. My, My father was a pastor. This belongs to me. And they were taking each other to court. And the Hindu judge looked at me and said, why? Why is it? Why is it that all of these problems I have to sort out? And I didn't have an answer to him. I couldn't answer him. Because this church had a terrible testimony. They had a terrible testimony amongst the the community they lived in. They were fighting all the time, even to a point of physical violence. And they had lost their credibility. They had lost their unity. And they had lost their effectiveness when it came to reaching people with the gospel. And we need to remember that it is Christ who is our peace. It is Christ who is the basis and the center for us solving and resolving these conflicts that, that we have in our marriages, in our homes. Christ, the Word of God, has the solution. And we come to Him for these answers. As Paul said with reference to the division that was between the the, the Gentiles and the Jews, they were, they were in the church. Remember, he said in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, he said, For he himself is our peace, talking about Jesus. He himself is our peace, who has made us both one. And he has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Christ has given us peace with God. And it is the the peace of God and peace with one another so that we can carry out this mission. It's vital, folks. It's vital for our mission. If we do not have peace with God, we will not have peace with one another. And if we don't have peace with one another, there's no way that we can reach a lost world. Peace with God is vital. My second point there, in verse 20, is great proof. The risen Savior has given us great proof. He says in verse 20, And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Now some of us have physical scars to remind us of an operation or an accident or or even a fight we were once in some of the scars we would prefer not to see some of us have may have may, maybe have more scars than others but our resurrected bodies will be perfect we won't have any of these scars anymore but Jesus resurrection body is different Jesus resurrection body still has the scars He still has the scars to remind us of the great price that he paid to save us from our sins. Jesus' resurrected body is the only body that would have these scars. And on that first resurrection Sunday, Jesus showed the disciples his hands and he showed them his sight to convince them of the truth that he was risen bodily, physically, In Luke, again, in the gospel in chapter 24, it tells us that he invited them to to touch him. And and he asked them for a piece of of fish, cooked fish, which he ate. And they watched him eat this to prove to them that he wasn't a ghost, to prove to them, in fact, that he was a resurrected physical person. The Lord has given us convincing proof that he is indeed risen. And this is a historical fact and it should be the center of our witness for Christ. He is the object of our faith. If he was not resurrected, folks, the Apostle Paul tells us our faith would be in vain. If Christ did not resurrect from the dead, our faith would be in vain. So this is the center of our witness. You know, it is true that that Christ can help people with their personal problems and struggles, but that's not the message of the gospel. The gospel is not that Christ came to make us healthy or wealthy and, and prosperous. Remember the angel Gabriel when he approached Joseph in Matthew chapter one. He told Joseph that you would name that child Jesus, because he says he will save his people from their sins. That is the whole reason Jesus came to this earth, because he would save his people from their sins. Jesus was born so that he could die for our sins, he didn't remain dead. The scripture tells us three days after he was buried, he was raised again from the dead. In other words, don't believe in Jesus in the hope that he will solve your problems. And people think that he's a genie in a bottle. We'll pray to Jesus and he will, he will serve us. You know, we're not excluded from sufferings and trials, folks. Let me just, let me just say that as Christians, Jesus never promised us that our life would be without suffering. Yes, Jesus gives us peace. He tells us he gives us peace. But that peace is eternal. The greatest problem that we, have, that we will ever have is to be separated from the holy God. And that problem is being resolved through the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. Our greatest problem has been solved by Jesus, folks but he doesn't promise us that we are exempt and excluded from trials and suffering. And this is all part of God's sovereign plan. This is all part of God's sovereign plan for us to bring us to sanctification. But Jesus says here in John chapter 16, just turn there with me if you would, in John chapter 16, verse 33. He says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. If you haven't underlined that in your Bible, underline that, folks. We will have tribulation, but take heart. Take heart in What? not in the things around you, not in the, 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 the empire that you have built. Take heart in the gospel. Take heart in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Your gravest problem has been solved. Jesus has overcome the world. Believe in Jesus because he has overcome the world. Believe in Jesus because he has conquered death. Believe in Jesus because He has been resurrected from the grave. Believe in Jesus because you are a sinner and He is the only Savior. The Bible tells us Jesus is coming again to judge the living and the dead. We can proclaim this gospel with confidence because we have great proof of His resurrection. Our third point this morning is in verse 21. The risen Savior has given us a great purpose. He's given us a great purpose. In verse 21, Jesus says to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Turn with me to John chapter 17. And Jesus applies his prayer here in John chapter 17. This is the real Lord's Prayer, by the way. John chapter 17 is the real Lord's Prayer. Here he's praying. He's praying for his disciples. And in verse 18, he says, As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. So John's gospel frequently emphasizes the theme of Jesus being sent into the world. Keep your finger here in John chapter 20. Please turn with me to a few of these verses. I think it's important for us to see this. Turn with me to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. John chapter 3 verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God Jesus was sent to bring salvation to the world. Look at John chapter four. Look at John chapter four, verse 34. Jesus said to them, my food is to do do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. He was sent to do the Father's will. Look at John chapter five. John chapter five, verse 36. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. The Father has sent Jesus to perform the, the works of God. Turn to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, verse 49. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father has. Who sent me has himself given me a commandment what to say and what to speak. The Lord was sent not to speak his own words, but the Father's words. And then, lastly, look at John chapter 18. Look at John chapter 18, verse 37. Jesus speaking to Pilate, he says, For this purpose, in verse 37, for this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. We see the whole purpose of Jesus here, don't we? The apostle Paul put it in a different way in 1 Timothy 1 verse 15. He said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am the foremost. And the Lord's prayer in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, when he teaches us to pray, and this is what we must pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Christ came to establish the Father's kingdom by bringing people under the Lordship to do his will. By sending us in the same way that he was sent, nothing different. So God's purpose, Jesus' purpose has become our purpose. We have a reason for existing, folks, not just to aim, to wander aimlessly on this earth, accumulating riches, but we have a purpose. It's the same purpose of Jesus. We need to live in obedience to Christ, And teach others to do the same. That is the Great Commission. That's what it means to be making disciples of Jesus. Let's not lose sight of our purpose, folks. Let's not be like that grocery store owner we we heard about last week who would ban customers from his store because of their their bad manners. So they eventually had to, to look through a window and point to the items that they wanted to purchase. Let's not lose the plot. One author put it like this. Today is the day of iPhones and iPads, iTunes, and the whole I life. But is there any space in the I life for the the we life of Christianity? Very clever. God's purpose is for us together to be making disciples of Jesus Christ. That is our purpose purpose as a church, folks. And we do this by displaying His character to the lost world, through our obedience to the Word of God, in our relationships with Him, and in our relationships with each other. God sent His Son to call a people to follow. And part of that following is, is calling others to follow Jesus. And together we are to display this this we life of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, corporately. And together we are to demonstrate God's own love. We are to demonstrate His holiness. We are to demonstrate His, His uniqueness to the world around us. Together, folks, that is my point I'm trying to make. Together we are to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Christianity is not just for individuals, We are saved to be part of a body of Christ. Let's not be like the store owner who closes his doors to the customers. God's purpose is not for us just to enjoy fellowship with each other. I spoke about this last week, as fulfilling as it is. God's purpose for us is not just to praise and worship together in the church. As enriching as it is, God's purpose for us is not only to come to church once a week and learn His Word, as important as it is, God's purpose for us is to make disciples of Jesus Christ as we go out into the world each week, into our workplaces, into our schools, into our neighbourhoods, and, and we display His character to the lost world so that so that. When a door opens up, we can share the hope that is inside of us so that we can share the love of Christ with a world that is, that is lost and dying in their sins. Remember, Jesus was known as a friend of sinners. He said in Luke chapter five, verse 32, I have come, sorry, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to Repentance. Shouldn't we be hanging out with with sinners and befriending them and inviting them to our homes, opening up our doors to them so that we can tell them about the Savior? Or are our only friends Christians? If Jesus' purpose was to seek and save the lost, shouldn't that be our purpose, folks? Shouldn't that be our purpose to tell people the good news about eternal life? I mean, this is the, the greatest purpose that anyone can have because this was the Savior's purpose, wasn't it? Now, let's pray that we would be a church that loves the glory of God and has a passion for the lost and that we won't lose the plot. Now, pray for opportunities to, to share the gospel. To, take initiative and let God's purpose be realized in your Christian life. Invite an unbeliever for dinner this week. Start a Bible study at work with other unbelievers. Invite them for prayer. So many things that we can do. I know of a friend who, who takes a, a Quran and he goes to a coffee shop and he tries to learn Arabic. And he sits at the coffee shop with all of these notes trying to learn Arabic. And when 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 a a Muslim man comes next to him, he asks him, please tell me, what does this word say? Explain this to me. And of course, the man is very delighted to see him wanting to learn Arabic. And they start a conversation. And next to his Koran is the Bible. And they start talking about the Bible. Take initiative, folks. Use opportunities God gives you in the workplace, wherever you have influence. God's purpose is our purpose. The risen Savior has given us peace. He's given us proof. And He's given us a purpose, which is His purpose. My fourth point is that He has given us power. We don't have to do this in our own strength. The risen Savior has given us great power. Look at verse 22. And when He had said this, He breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. If we attempt to serve the Lord in any capacity, but especially in proclaiming the gospel to the lost, without relying on the power of the Spirit of God, we are wasting our time, folks. It's an effort in futility. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6 reminds us, not by might, Nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 22, Jesus gives the disciples the power. And when he had said this, he breathed. And the Greek word for breathe is simply blew. He just blew and said to them, receive the the Holy Spirit. This is a promise of what would happen at Pentecost, I believe. Really, this is a prelude of what was to come. And last week, when we looked at Matthew chapter 28, we saw that Pentecost had, a, had happened and Jesus had already been resurrected from the grave. He had already sent it up into heaven. But in Matthew 28, he returns to his disciples to remind them of this power that he had given to them, that authority had given to them. And here in John chapter 20, verse 22, this is the promise this is the promise. In Matthew 28, he gives them one last promise. I am with you always, even to the end of the world. And shortly after this, in Acts chapter 1, just before Jesus ascended up into heaven, it tells us that this promise was fulfilled. It says in verse 8, but you will receive power When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. The Bible never commands us to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I think it's important for us to mention that this morning. Nowhere in the Bible are we commanded to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Because that happens at the time that we are saved. The moment we are saved, we are baptized. That is a one-time action. We are saved, we are baptized by the Spirit of God. It's a one-time action that takes place when we are saved. But the Bible does command us to be filled with the Spirit. The Bible does command us to walk in the Spirit. And since the Spirit of God must open blind eyes, and the Spirit of God must give this new life to to sinners, when they hear the gospel, we need to rely on the ministry of the Spirit of God. When we talk to people, when we share with them about Christ, we can't do it without the Spirit of God. And the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, says in Ephesians 5 verse 17, Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. What is the will of the Lord? Well, the next verse tells us in verse 18, Ephesians 5:18. It tells us to be filled with the Spirit. That is the will of the God. That, that is the the will of the Lord. And the risen Savior has equipped us for proclaiming the gospel. He gives us great peace, he gives us great proof, he gives us a great purpose. And He gives us the necessary power through the indwelling Holy Spirit. But lastly, in verse 23, the risen Savior has given us a great proclamation. He has given us a great message. We see there in verse 23, If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Well, the Roman Catholic Church teaches from this verse that only ordained priests have the authority to forgive sins and only when members come for confession. Well, this is a wrong interpretation of this verse, okay? This is not what this verse means. There is no example in the Bible of the apostles forgiving or retaining the sins of anybody when we compare scripture with scripture we see in, in 1 peter chapter 2 verse 5 that all believers are priests before God and all believers have equal access to his throne of grace we don't have to go through a mediator 1 timothy 2 verse 5 tells us that Jesus is the only mediator between God and man and most importantly, only God can forgive sins, which He does the instant a person repents and believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no such thing as penance that is necessary for forgiveness. And that's just, that's just human works. And we just add that to the finished work of Christ on the cross. It is, it is a false teaching. So the meaning and the application for us is that we have the authority to proclaim to those who repent and believe in Jesus confidently that if they are sincere, their sins have been forgiven. Their sins have been forgiven. We can also, on the other hand, proclaim to people who have not repented of their sins, who have hardened their hearts we can say to them, you still remain in your sins. And the gospel that we proclaim is not so much about Jesus helping people with their, their personal problems, but rather about God forgiving their sins through, through Jesus' sacrificial through His sacrifice on the cross. G. Campbell Morgan, who was a pastor, an evangelist, Um, And an author of many wonderful books, he he wrote, he said, The ultimate reason of the mission of the church in the world is to deal with sin. Romans chapter 3 tells us, doesn't it? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus didn't die to save us from personal failure or our shortcomings or our financial problems. Jesus didn't die to make us healthy or wealthy or prosperous. Jesus died to save us from the just wrath of God against our rebellion and against our sin. We can confidently proclaim that message, folks, with all authority. I want to conclude this morning with with a personal story. While we lived in India, I was invited to preach at a church that was on the campus of an old Christian mission hospital. And the hospital was, was struggling along, and many of the members were employed in this hospital. But it was in this church that I, I met this young boy named Amol. And Amol was 10 years old when I met him. But he had been found abandoned at a, near, a, near, a nearby railway station. Um, he was only three years old when they found him as a little boy. And he was begging for food. He was begging for food. And one of the ladies from the church came across Amol. And she gave Amol some biscuits from her handbag and invited him home for a, a cooked meal. Amol was very weak and he was very sickly at that point. But this lady called the pastor of the church to see how they could help Amol. And the church members, they went to the police and they reported a, a lost and missing child and they never stopped looking for his parents. But it became clear to everyone that Amol had been abandoned by his parents at this railway junction. They never found his parents. But the members cared for him and took him for medical checkups because he was, he was so sick. And they eventually discovered that Amol had HIV which he had contracted from his mother at birth. And Kerry and I I met Amol seven years later. He had been loved and he had been cared for by this church. He had been taking his medication and the church was investing into him. And Kerry and I had the privilege of getting to know Amol over the three years that we were ministering at this church and the church was very intentional about his physical health because um, he had HIV. And of course, they were very intentional about sharing the gospel with him because they wanted him to know about Jesus in case he was to die. And this church invested their lives into a Amol, even though he was at first a stranger. You know, they invested their time, they invested their resources, and they invested the gospel into a Amol's life, even though he was probably the discarded child of a prostitute. And I'm was 13 years old when he died. Um, his funeral was something that I will never forget. I'm sorry. But during those 10 years, the Lord gave all to this church. They were, they were faithful with the purpose that God had entrusted them with. And they were faithful in making Amol a, a follower of Jesus. And after Amol died, the, the church gave me Amol's Bible. It was a small New Testament, a Gideon A small little Gideon Bible. Hmm. Sorry, I've gone over this a few times and I said I wasn't gonna cry. (laughs) Um, But in this Bible he had underlined and you know he had filled this Bible with all of his notes from all the sermons that that he had listened to and all of the Bible studies that, that he had attended. And I'd done a a sermon series through the Gospel of John. And I was drawn to all the passages that he had he had underlined in that gospel. And one of the passages was get it together. One of the passages was John chapter sixteen, verse thirty three. I read that to you earlier. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And next to that verse, this 13 year old boy wrote in the margin, he said, Thank you, Jesus, for dying for my sins. And I have confidence that one day I will see a mole again in heaven. You know, I will have the privilege of, of worshiping Jesus with him because this church was faithful with the mission. This church was faithful in making disciple of them all. This church was faithful with proclaiming the message of forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name to all who will believe. And New Life Church, let's not forget our mission. Let's not forget our purpose. Now, there are people all around us that are lost and dying in their sins. And this mission is possible because the risen Savior has equipped us for this by giving us a great peace and great proof, a great promise, great power, and a great message that we can confidently proclaim. Now our Lord turns mission impossible into mission possible. If we will just believe His Word, Jesus says to us all, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gospel this morning. We are reminded, Lord, that it has saved us riches who didn't deserve your grace, Lord, who deserved hell. We're reminded this morning that it has the power to save other wretches just like us, Lord, and that you will continue to save, Lord, because you have called a people to yourself and you have given us the privilege of finding these people. You've given us the privilege to be part of this great commission, Lord. We pray that we will be faithful, that we won't take your grace for granted, that we won't be untouched or unmoved by the the grace of God that has the power to save us from our sins and others from their sins. Lord, please, we pray that you would give us a, a love for the lost. Lord, that we would not just be concerned about us four, lock the door no more. Father, that we would have a love for your glory and a love for the lost, and that we would be reaching out to those around us who are dying in their sins. So Lord, please use us as a church. Use us for your glory. Use us, Lord, that we would see people coming to faith in Jesus because we are being intentional with the gospel. We are being faithful with the Great Commission by making disciples of our Jesus. So equip us, Lord, and may you receive all the honor and glory you deserve.